Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me as always is Joe Healy. And in a little bit, we will be joined by Louisiana Tech coach Lane Burroughs, who is coming by to talk with us all about the Bulldogs, their impressive 2021 season that, of course, saw them host a regional in Ruston for the first time in program history and win the Conference USA West Division. So we're going to get into all of that and a little bit about just where the future of La Tech baseball goes. They, they opened a new ballpark this year, of course, and so a lot of exciting things happening around La Tech. We're going to get into all of that today with Lane Burroughs here on this edition of the Baseball America College podcast, which is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. To check out the Rapsodo National Player Database, go to rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, we're back. We're uh, got a, a, another great interview lined up today, and we're going to talk about Conference USA, a, a subject that is near and dear to your heart, I know. So uh, just a banner day all around here on the Baseball America College podcast. Indeed. A, uh, a, I grew up on Conference USA, as uh, another podcast host would, would kind of say. I co-opted that from, from someone so, else. Uh, it's for Tom Hart to find that Easter egg. That's right. I grew up on Conference USA. Uh, gone through many iterations, but still does hold a place close to my heart. It feels like it's been a Conference USA type of week. I, I told you <laughs> off air kind of about some of the things that have happened here this week, but what kind of reminds me of Conference USA and having grown up in the Conference USA footprint is it a really sticky week here. A lot of rain. I don't know how it's been up there in, in your neck of the woods, Teddy, uh, but uh, very sticky here, very wet. Um, feels very summertime in the Southeast uh, in terms of, in terms of that. Uh, you know, I, I had a, my first summer copperhead sighting in my yard. That was pretty cool. Thankfully my dog was not out there with me because uh, he would have tried to play with the copperhead and that typically doesn't go well for dogs. Uh, and I got a lizard in my house uh, that same day. So it's been, you know, we, we've had all the kind of the uh, hot, swampy summertime animals out and around, uh, in addition to, uh, you know, roughly 158 degree humidity. So it really does kind of feel like it's just a, a perfect week to be talking Conference USA based on what we've had outside here. Yeah, I mean, you, you get down into the, the swamplands of, you know, southern uh I was going to say Southern Miss, which is a literal Conference USA school. But yeah, you get down into down into like Florida, FIU, FAU, and, uh, into Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, all these Conference USA hotbeds. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, that that's that's a rough summer for you. I heard a story one time. Somebody who grew up in uh, the Miami area, which is like very nebulous because it's like you've got Miami then you've got Broward and then you you know this is a very sprawl South Florida is just a sprawling area when you start to think about all it encompasses but um and he said he was going out to his car one time and he thought that he he thought that he'd left his windshield wipers up you know how sometimes you'll turn your car off and your windshield wipers are going and you didn't realize it or whatever and then it actually just turns out that it was two snakes on his windshield just hanging out that's like my, that's my my waking nightmare like honestly, like I would just buy a new car, like <laughs> <laughs> because I, I just you know I, I'm I'm pretty good with bugs. You know the lizard in my house was annoying, but like whatever, 
like the snakes though, that's where I draw the line. I don't, I don't mess with snakes, man. I just, I just don't. That would definitely wake you up if that was, that was what you came out you saw in the morning. No doubt. You'd never get in your car as confidently ever again. Like you'd have to like, at least I would, you'd have to like walk around the car. Like basically you'd have to do all that stuff that AAA says you should do before you even get in your car. Anytime you drive, you know how AAA is always like, before you get in your car, anytime you go anywhere, walk around, make sure your lights work, make sure your windshield is all that safe that nobody does. Like if I came out to my car and there were snakes hanging out of my windshield, like I would start doing that stuff. Like I'd get on my hands and knees and look under the undercarriage and, you know, see what kind of horrors were lurking underneath because that would, that would scar me. Honestly, I would not get in my car confidently ever again. Yeah, I could, uh, I could see how that would happen. Well, we don't have any snakes to scare you with here. Or snake uh, mascots in Conference USA. No, just nope. just a dragon, I guess. Yeah, um, UAV. Yeah, that's technical. Yeah. Well, a reptile is as as far as mythical creatures go, I guess. Yeah. Otherwise, snake-free Conference USA. So Indeed. hopefully, it stays that way. Uh, but it, we we talked about it a lot throughout the spring, just how interesting the conference was this year. Louisiana Tech's. Um, I don't even. It's not a resurgence, just surgence. I, Louisiana Tech's rise this spring. A surgence, uh, I like that. Yeah, that's got to be a word, right? Um, the way the way that they've gone, and it, not just this year, but over the last few to several, I guess. You know, they they have it, what what they did this spring, I guess, is is kind of representative of the conference. Just what what they were able to accomplish helped bring Conference USA to the forefront. They, you know, really started off the season impressively in non-conference play. They played Arkansas. They nearly beat Arkansas on Friday night of that series. They did beat Arkansas in the series finale on Sunday. Um, you know, they added another win against Ole Miss. They, they, they just had some really nice things in the non-conference, and that – that just carried over the, the momentum kept rolling there and, and just what La Tech was able to accomplish help push conference USA into the forefront early. And then as you know, ODU and Charlotte just kept winning games as the season went along and Southern miss um, you know, that having La Tech already having established like, Oh, that this, this is a really good team in this conference like that, that just helped push conference USA further along. I feel like, and, you know, ultimately, uh, it ends with uh, with La Tech hosting a regional at at the Love Shack for, for the first time ever. And I, it's also worth we didn't really get into this with uh, with Lane, so I think it's worth touching on this now. Joe is that you know a big part of the Louisiana Tech story is what they had gone through going into this year. And obviously, everyone in 2020 went through the same COVID situation, really. But La Tech the year before had, and we've talked about this on the podcast, that, you know, Rustin, Louisiana was hit by a pretty significant tornado in 2019, and it came through uh, and severely damaged the, the baseball and the softball stadiums, and they had to be rebuilt. And so La Tech was, for a while, without a home. And they had intended to play the, the whole 2020 season, like, at a series of high schools or uh, just other college fields that they could get the, that they could get for a weekend or two, and you know then in, in twenty one the the new Love Shack opened and it 
it's a great stadium from what we can see on TV. It, it looks fantastic. Uh, and the, the people of Ruston really seem to embrace the team and the stadium and everything just came together in this uh, really impressive on the field season. And, and I, I think part of that groundswell was what was going on. You know, Louisiana Tech had a really nice fan base to begin with, but having the new stadium to, to go along with that and, and the, the reason why there was a new stadium, I think helped feed into uh, everything that was about this Bulldogs baseball season. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the 2020 season and their schedule because I'd kind of forgotten about that as, as I as I scroll through it now that, I mean, they were going to play home games as far away as Jackson, Mississippi. Um, they were, I mean, talk about piecing it together. I mean, we've talked about some teams that have had to do some things like that before. A lot of times it's just because you don't have like a, a primary facility. And of course, that's the case with La Tech here. But this was like, you know, um, for obviously for for more tragic and, and more difficult reasons as opposed to we just don't have a, a good enough facility to play, you know, all of our games there. But regardless, like it was going to be a really fascinating case study because it was basically the same team that we saw in 2021. And like, my goodness, if they'd have been able to pull off a being a postseason team facing that kind of schedule where their quote unquote home games were going to require bus rides longer than, you know, or as long as some road trips, um, that would have been uh, quite a, quite a thing to accomplish. And it, it led into this season where, you know, frankly, it, it would hard it would be would have been hard to not be heartbroken for them if they hadn't gotten into the postseason this year in 2021. Because you you throw that on there, you know, dealing with the, the fallout of that tornado that hit. It's a group that's been together for a long time. You know, and as we'll talk about, I think after the interview here, is that it's actually a team that brings back more than I thought next year, because I just kind of assumed it was an old enough team that most of that team was going to move on, but that's actually not necessarily the case, but regardless, it is an older team that it's not just that they've been there a long time. It's that they've had some close calls. Like this is a team that really for three or four years now has probably been regional quality, but the numbers just haven't always been there. And that's life. When you're in a league like conference USA, sometimes the numbers are going to be in your favor. You know, I talking about kind of opaquely talking about like RPI and such here those numbers are going to be in your favor some years. They were in 2021 and some years they're not. And that's been the case with LaTeX in the past. So to see them get over that hump was pretty rewarding for that group and would have been a, a tough thing had they not, because they were clearly plenty talented enough. And I think you, you nailed it right on the head where LaTeX emerged pretty quickly last season as a team that, Hey, we're, you know, this is a team to pay attention to in CUSA, the way they played um, Arkansas and Ole Miss, but also, you know, they played LSU earlier in the year. They ended up losing that game, but they, they played LSU pretty close right out of the shoot. And of course, LSU ended up not being as good as we thought we would, but I thought they would, but, uh, you know, a super regional team in the end. So they were sent early signs that, hey, this team is going to be something to reckon with. And so once we knew that, it kind of felt like, and, and we know Southern Miss is always going to be of a certain caliber. Not that Old Dominion and Charlotte weren't good teams on their merits, they were, but also it, it did feel a little bit like once they had established La Tech and Southern Miss as being the quality they were, like they could kind of draft off of each other a little bit. Of course, they didn't get to all play each other, which was a bummer, but in terms of the perception of the league, I think that really helped early on that people had to stand up and take notice of, of La Tech right away. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot to get into here with uh, with Lane Burroughs. So let's do that. Let's let's get to our interview here uh, with Lane Burroughs here in a second. But first, check this out. 
Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're excited to be joined by Louisiana Tech coach Lane Burroughs. La Tech, of course, this season uh, was, had, had a fantastic year, got a host spot, uh, finished the, the season ranked in the top 25, won more than 40 games, all of these things, uh, you know, kind of first-time things or first-time in a really long-time things for, for the Bulldogs. So, Coach, uh, really excited season, excited to, to talk with you about, about how that all came to be and, and where you see the program going from here. So, uh, happy to have you here on the podcast today. Man, thank you guys for having me. I tell you what, it's uh, it was a special season. It a um, lot of people to thank, and obviously uh, what our guys went through for two years, not having a home or really a, a ballpark to call our own or a locker room or a player's lounge or any of that stuff. And, you know, it's well documented what they went through. And I think the best thing you can say about our program and, and those guys, they didn't leave. And uh, we, we kind of live in a in an age now where guys are free to come and go and be eligible to play. And, um, you know, we, we had a lot of things uh, happen for team-wise, but a lot of individual awards this year, and it just kind of came together. You know, we got a brand-new stadium, and uh, we had an older ball club, and uh, a ball club that had a lot of character and makeup, and uh, really a great work ethic, and and uh, lo and behold, we end up winning the division and uh, West Division of Conference USA, and, and like you said, get that regional host, and uh, played extremely well, lost to a really good ball club, NC State. And uh, crowds were awesome, and it it just kind of seemed to all come together in, in a year when really, quite frankly, uh, uh, not only did everybody need it, our, our school needed it, Rustin needed it, and uh, very proud of our young men and what they were able to accomplish. And like you guys said, looking forward to getting back going this fall and building off that and don't want to be a flash-in-the-pan program. We want to keep this thing going and continue to build it and ultimately uh, get to Omaha. It's been a couple months now since the season ended. Have you been able to take some time to to reflect on 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 the season itself? And, and if you have, you know, what what did you kind of uh, take away from it with the benefit of a little bit of hindsight now? Yeah, that's a great question, and I've, I've been asked that a lot. And it, it's you know when you're in the battle, when you're playing and you're coaching and you're you're working hard every day, you don't really pay attention to that stuff. You're just look, you're trying to get through an inning or trying to score a run or. <laughs> or whatever, get through a ball game, you, you, you're not really taking in what's going on around you. But from the text uh, that I've gotten from, we, we got a few former professional athletes that live in Ruston in the area and, and some former athletes from our school that came to the regional people came out that had never been to a ball game. And just the feedback I've gotten from them of, uh, you know, the most exciting uh, live sporting event they've ever been to, things like that. You know, you don't know if it's hyperbole, but I think it uh, the, the crowds were outstanding. And I think our people did a great job. Our, our administration, you know, first time we've ever hosted a regional. You guys said that. And you, you have your concerns as a coach. You want to focus on on preparing uh, your team and playing against, obviously, three other really good ball clubs. And and uh, I thought our administration did a great job. It's it's not easy to host an event like that and put it on. And uh, from volunteers in our department, other coaches, uh, people just that work in our department, they were all over the place. And and volunteering their time to make sure we did it right. And, you know, I thought Elliot Avent gave me, a, uh, not me, or, uh, gave us a great compliment and said it was one of the better regionals he had ever been to, best run regionals. And uh, he shook my hand there at the end and pulled me in and said, hey, man, you got it going on here. It's a great atmosphere. And I think it prepared them when they went and played Arkansas. Obviously, they got uh, hit pretty hard that game one, but I thought the, the way they were able to bounce back, I thought we were able to prepare them for that. Uh, quite frankly, because I thought our crowds were good and 
and uh, it was just an electric atmosphere. And yeah, it's it's uh, you, you do you think about it what you did, and, and it, it's just uh, it's one of those things you you don't want to think about it too long. You do want to smell the roses. You need to do that. Stop and smell the roses every now and then. But uh, it get it gets back on you quick, and our guys will be coming back to school here in the next couple of weeks. We're on the quarter system here, so we don't start till September, and and uh, we'll be back going and. Uh, we feel like we have another opportunity to have another good team next year. How rewarding was it? You know, you mentioned it being a veteran team. This is a team that has had some near misses to get into the postseason. Just getting to the postseason was kind of an achievement for that unit. So how how rewarding was it to get that group of guys, you know, over that hump, not only getting them in the postseason, but hosting just to, to give them that moment they've been working so hard for? You know, it was unbelievable. Guys like Parker Bates uh, came back for that senior year. He, uh, We had six guys. And, they, I tell this story all the time. Look, they, they all graduated. They had their degrees. And uh, Parker Bates, who played more ball games than anybody's ever played here, he broke the school games played record and a lot of other records. He had Hunter Wells. He broke the school hits record in three years. Uh, Manny Garcia had a great year for us. We had six seniors that uh, had graduated. They didn't have to come back. They could have got on with their life or they could have uh, transferred somewhere else. We didn't know when the field was going to be ready or the stadium. So, uh, there were days, guys, look, quite frankly, I've, I've been transparent about it. There were days I pulled up to the high school field and, uh, you know, sit in my truck and go, man, I don't know if I can do this again. It's been two years. And uh, I would get out of my truck and I'd hear the bats uh, going and I'd hear the guys, the music going. And our guys already out there. They would they would beat our coaching staff to the ballpark, set it up, start hitting, start working. And it was just a, a group of young men that genuinely – they love being around each other. They love being around the coaches. They uh, they work their tails off. It, they really had no other option. You know, we didn't we didn't have a place to hang out. So it was either uh, stay at your apartment or your dorm or go work. And uh, my, our guys went out and worked, and they would beat us to the field. And to see those guys to be able to uh, to have what they endured uh, those two years of not really having a home and kind of being on an island by ourselves and playing on the road, and to see them be able to celebrate in a brand new ballpark. Uh, it was very rewarding. It, I couldn't be more proud of those young men and, and all they were able to accomplish. And, you know, we, we, we kind of pride ourselves. One thing, we, we, we play with an edge. We like to play with a chip on our shoulder. and We're blue collar. That's who we are. And, you know, it was different this year. So we put in a bid to host a regional. Uh, and, and there was talk, you guys, a lot of people started predicting possibly that we could host a regional. And uh, I thought uh, we, we had a series uh, that, that weekend when all the talk started. We didn't play real well. And uh, we of the four games, we split the four games uh, with Marshall, and they were in last place. We were in first. And, and uh, I just uh, – I thought it was the first time all year, and in a couple of years I saw our guys play, play tight, kind of play timid, and, and uh, it wasn't good. And uh, we got back to who we were, though, quickly, and, and to see them overcome that. And, you know, you, got, you, you start getting talk about hosting regionals and all that stuff, and you've never been through that. It, it, it kind of makes you, it takes you aback. And uh, it was good to see our guys grow uh, during the season and be able to overcome that and, and ultimately keep playing good baseball and, and, and get that regional host. You talk about how, how well the regional went in terms of it getting run and, and the crowds and everything, but it wasn't just that, you know, I, I remember tuning into the Arkansas series on Friday night and thinking, wow, what an atmosphere uh, this one is. And then you would watch the the Conference USA tournament, and, and that was always great atmospheres when you guys were playing uh, at, at night there. Um, what 
now that you've been through this ballpark for, for a season, what do you like about it? What, what kind of stands out to you about what the, the new Love Shack is? Everything. I know that sounds crazy, <laughs> uh, but it really is. Me and Mitch Gaspar, when they're building it, you know, you're kind of walking through it. You're kind of holding your breath going, man, I hope they do it right. And I hope they don't cut some corners. And and uh, they were up, up against some time uh, constraints. And uh, they really did. They did it right. I mean, everybody that come in here, you talk about the Arkansas weekend and we were fortunate we had back-to-back games on that Sunday, guys. We beat Arkansas two to nothing, and uh, Jarrett Worf uh, shut them out. That was their first loss. And then we had Ole Miss coming in for Tuesday, Wednesday, and uh, we beat them 13-1 to on Tuesday. So it was back-to-back SEC opponents at home, and I think that kind of got people going. We, didn't, we ended up not playing on that Wednesday, uh, but we went to Tulane that weekend and swept them on the road, and that's kind of when you go, wow, we may have something here. But as far as ballpark – I think uh, just a lot of scouts that were here and, and teams that came in, you got the concourse area uh, underneath the uh, sky suites and a press box. And, and uh, I think that makes a huge difference when you don't have to walk behind the stadium to the, go to the concession stand or to the restroom. It's right there. and You, you don't really miss any of the action. And, and quite frankly, every chair back, I mean, you can go anywhere. Uh, I, I'm looking out my window right now in our office. It's overlooking the field and our, our offices are, are right here down the, down the left field line, third baseline, and our indoor facility, as far as player development, we didn't have that before. So we have a, a really nice indoor with hitting, uh, pitching uh, development in there. And, and just, uh, the, again, there's not a bad seat in the house. Anywhere you go in this ballpark, uh, it doesn't matter where you stand or where you sit. It's, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's a good place to watch a game. And we were able to keep it where it is. So you get the train to come by about four or five times and, and uh, just, it, it, it took it to another level, and, and it's showing in recruiting right now. Uh, kids are coming to this that's never been here, and and uh, they love it. So I uh, couldn't be more pleased with the way it ended up, and those are just a few of the things that uh, we, we like about our, our new ballpark. It's it's phenomenal. Yeah, on that similar track there, I, you know, folks like Teddy and I can watch it, you know, or even if we're there in person, we, we see the, the crowds, we see the new facilities, everything's new and nice, and we can, we can see all that stuff with just to the naked eye. But there's obviously more that benefits the program with a new facility like the one you have. So I'm curious if you could give us a, some insight into what are some things that maybe the average person wouldn't know about what the new facility provides that makes your lives easier, that makes your players' lives easier, that kind of allows you to succeed at a higher level than not just obviously when you guys didn't have a ballpark, but even with the older version of the Love Shack. Yeah, number one, I think you go player development right out of the gate. That's our indoor facility. Uh, that uh, we had hit, hitting cages that were covered before, but it wasn't, it wasn't closed in. It wasn't climate controlled. And now you, you're able to do that. You got this big, huge area that you got uh, four hitting cages, or you can, uh, you can have a perimeter netting where we can go live in there. We can pull the nets back. And if it's raining or if it's cold or whatever, we can actually hook it up and have a sim game uh, and go live BP in there. We have a small weight room in that same facility. It's not where we, we normally lift weights, but it's a smaller weight room that if a guy needs a maintenance lift or a pitcher needs to get a quick lift in. And I think our offices too, we have a, a big conference room now. Our offices were underneath the old stadium, uh, kind of an old minor league feel. We were kind of in a dungeon and we didn't have any windows. You were just kind of stuck in there and that's fine, you know, whatever. But now we're, we're overlooking our field. You know, a kid comes in and we, we can sit here and watch uh, guys, uh, practice. If we got something going on, we're with a recruit. And I think it, it makes a difference with all these windows are open in our conference room. And then we have a classroom setting as well. We have a big classroom that 
we did not have before. So we can do scouting reports in there. That's where we hold our team meetings. And obviously our locker room players lounge, uh, a, a huge upgrade from the, from the last one. So uh, the bullpen area is upgraded and just uh, it, it's a lot of things. It's a, and then you talk about the fan experience. We got a, a new student section out in right field that was a big hit with our students this year. And then obviously our student housing, uh, that you guys probably saw when we played Arkansas in, in left field and left center where uh, our students live and they come out on the balconies and watch the game. It's just a it's a unique setting and uh, really unlike any other I've seen in college baseball as far as this size of a school anyway. And uh, But again, it's just it seems like every day we see something new or think of something new that we got in the stadium. We're very fortunate, very appreciative and very blessed to have what we got. So now looking ahead to uh, to 2022, you are part of having an older team means that uh, a lot of those players do end up moving on. Parker Bates was drafted, Hunter Wells signed as a you know as a as a graduated senior, and, and some other mm-hmm. guys as well. Um, so now, as you start to to look at how this team's going to shape up in, in the following year, what what are you looking to get out of fall ball, and and kind of what are you anticipating with some of some newness around this team now? Yeah, we were very offensive last year. Obviously, you look and you just named those two guys. You lose a Bates, you lose a Wells. You go, wow, man, that's that's two mainstays in the lineup that were very uh, productive offensively uh, throughout their career. And uh, but we do this year. We had in the history of our program, we had four All Americans, and we had four guys make All American this year. And you know, one of those are Taylor Young. He's back second base, and you got Jonathan Fincher, uh, left-handed pitcher, is our Friday night guy. He's back. So. Uh, I like what we got back. Our entire rotation is back. Uh, we played the four-game weekends last year in Conference USA, and all four of those starters are back. We're going back to the three games. But you, now you got four legitimate starters back. Our entire bullpen's back. Uh, we lost two arms that didn't uh, factor in too much. So uh, I like where we are on the mound. It's going to be a lot of guys that's logged a lot of stressful innings. And and you go around our lineup. You know, you got Corona back behind home plate. You you got uh, Netterville's back. He's been a four-year starter. He was an academic All-American this year. Uh, you got Cole McConnell in left field. Had a great year for us. Uh, Phil Matulia had a tremendous year and tremendous summer. Uh, and then we got Jackson Lancaster transferred from Missouri. Uh, probably come in and, and battle for the center field job. Take over for Parker Bates. And uh, I, I like our club. I think we got a chance to be good offensively again. But I think if you look at it on paper, probably – uh, losing those two guys, that's it, it, a hit, there's no doubt. But I think uh, from a pitching standpoint and defending the field, I, I, I love what we got coming back. And those guys, are nothing's going to speed them up. You know, we got some positions to be to be one, shortstop being one of them, third base. Uh, but besides that first base as well, we, uh, we feel good about the competition and some guys pushing some guys and can't wait to get going in the fall because, uh, again, it's these guys are hungry and they got a taste of it. And I think one of the one of the things that there is any good thing about losing a, a regional, especially as a host, you get to see the other team celebrate on your field, and and uh, they earned it. NC State was really good, and and uh, so much respect for them, and they, they won it fair and square. I'm telling you, they took it to us, and I think it was good for our team, and that's how you grow as a program. And uh, I know it just a lot of our guys stayed here this summer, and they're out here working every day. I see them, and and coming by the office, they can't wait to get going. You mentioned growing as a program there, and it's a, a good segue. Um, you know, you recently signed a contract extension that takes you through 2026. Um, what are you looking at now as kind of the next steps in the program to grow it where you'd like to grow it over those next five years? 
Yeah, obviously, you know, again, I said at the beginning, you don't want to, we don't want to be a flash in the pan. And I think my last press conference after we lost out in the regional, we're, you know, I'm not trying to sound cocky, but we're not going anywhere. We're, we're, we, we're not here to just uh, win and get out of here. Look, I, I, I love it here. I love Ruston. I love Louisiana tech. My two daughters, my two oldest kids are in school here. They're, they're students at Louisiana tech. I have a younger son. It's still in uh, just starting high school, but uh, it's a great place to live. It's uh, obviously we got the facility now that, uh, in my opinion, is the best in our league. It didn't even close. So uh, recruiting has went to another level. When you're on TV and you're hosting regionals, you got a brand new facility. Uh, you should be recruiting at a high level, and it's it's taking a jump. But yeah, what are we trying to do? It's obvious we want to obviously want to host regionals again. We want to win our league. Uh, that's number one. Win your league, and and uh, we made it to the championship game of the conference tournament. Did not win it. Old Dominion ended up winning that and another very good team. But uh, win our tournaments, another thing we want to do. It's never been done here. And and uh, continue going to regionals and hosting them uh, year in and year out. And ultimately get into a super. And when you get to that, it's two out of three. And and, and like everybody, get to Omaha and continue building this thing. And and uh, it's a process. You just keep going. You fight every day. You battle every day. And uh, it's off the field recruiting. It's, it's on the field working. And and I love the culture we've created here. And I love our coaching staff and, and the guys we got working. And it, it, it's a good time to be a Bulldog. I know a lot of people say that kind of stuff, but it, it really is. It's, uh, we got the support of our community, our fans, our stakeholders, our alumni. And we got the support of our administration. And I think they see that, hey, uh, you can build a winner there in baseball. And, and, and not only a winner, people will come out and they'll see it. And, and uh, you know, when you get on TV and you get that exposure, it just – continues to uh, take your program to another level and we're not taking a step back we're going to keep moving forward and and do whatever we got to do to get to Omaha your success was a part of a big year at large for for conference USA uh, you were one seed Old Dominion was a one seed Charlotte had a really impressive year Southern Miss continued to do what, what they've done for for so long down there in Hattiesburg where do you see the conference now it, it four bids was a lot for the league is that something that you guys feel like you can continue doing going forward? And how do you, as a conference, try and capture this momentum and move forward as a conference? Yeah, great point. Great question. I think I think we can. The league was really good this year, obviously. Uh, you know, I, I was at Southern Miss in the late 90s, and early 2000s, and the old Conference USA. It's always been a good baseball league. And I know it's changed, and some teams, uh, programs have come and gone, but Look, uh, we didn't play Charlotte, and obviously they won the league and won the East, and uh, we played Old Dominion in a in a two game set that was non conference right before the tournament. They came down here, and and uh, we got in two really good games with them. They beat beat us in both of them, beat us in the championship, and one of the top two or three teams we played all year. And uh, we had to play Southern Miss eight times, and we we and our I take eight times in the regular season. We played them three in the tournament. We ended up playing them eleven times, and we're able to win seven uh, of those games uh, against a team that I have so much respect for. And it's kind of ran our league to be quite honest with you. And, and uh, we were, I think four or five of those games were walk-offs uh, just really close games. And our league is really good. And I think one thing you can do is continue to schedule great opponents. And uh, we hosted a regional because we played Arkansas uh, at home and we won one of those games. We played Ole Miss here. Uh, we won one of those, won that game. Uh, you, you go down to Tulane and you, you sweep them on the road and you beat a good Southern Miss team on the road, three out of four. That's why you end up hosting. That matters. And and I, I think it's, it's something we, as a league, you got to do. We talk about it in our coaches' meetings. You got to schedule 
you, you don't want to beat your guys down, uh, but you got to schedule good opponents, even if you have to go on the road. And and uh, our league's good enough. We got good enough coaches and players, and just keep going forward. And, and that's where we need to be. You know, I know this this year was a little different uh, with the COVID stuff and and limited schedules in some of the leagues around the country. But uh, there's no reason we can't build off this. Uh, continue to to get three and four teams every year. I just feel like that's that's where we are. I've said it over and over. Uh, I tell everybody, Conference USA baseball is underrated, and uh, there's so many good players and coaches. And again, I, I think it's a great point. Continue to build off this, and but you got to schedule and you got to win some of those games and continue to recruit at a high level. Speaking of recent news, we talked about your contract extension. Also, news out of the program: Mitch Gaspard elevated to associate head coach at some. Folks uh, maybe didn't realize he was on staff, a guy who was a head coach at Alabama for a long time, had a lot of success there. Um, what has been the greatest attribute he's brought to the program? Where has he been most helpful for you guys? Well, i tell you this, he's been very helpful to me. You know, I, obviously I've respected Mitch for years and years. And he's one of those guys when I, when I offered him the job here and he took it, <laughs> I said, you know, he's one of those guys as I was coming up as a coach. He's Mitch is about, uh, he's about eight years older than me. I remind him of that, but Look, he, he was one of those guys when him and Todd Butler had it going down there at Alabama, man. I, I wanted to be like those guys. You know, they were they were winning and they were out recruiting and getting after it. Now, you kind of watched them and modeled yourself after them. And I've just always been a huge Mitch Gaspard fan. And uh, not only as a coach, but as a human being, just a great a great man, great husband, great father. And i tell you what, he's, he's been good for me. You know, uh, we kind of have two different mentalities. Uh I'm a little more high strung sometimes and Mitch is a little more laid back, even killed. And he's been good for me. He's been good for our team. And uh, offensively, uh, I think the, uh, the proof's in the pudding, man, what he's done to, with our hitters uh, uh, the last two years. Uh, you, I mean, look at it. That's all you got to do. And he's taking guys like Parker Bates, who are really good hitters and really good players, but kind of maybe missing a little in the mentality and approach at the plate. And he's brought that. Uh, I'll give him all the credit in the world for that. And, and, uh, you know, to have a guy like that, to be able to lean on in the dugout and, you know, I run the offense and, and I coach third and everything. I like doing that, but to, you know, between innings or during pitching changes to have a guy like Mitch Gaspard, to, Hey, come here. What are you thinking right here? And we may not always agree, but it's, it's good to have a guy with that many games under his belt that has coached at the highest level in college baseball. And, and, uh, he's just, he is, he has added so much value to me personally as a coach, as a human being, but look to our team. I, I give him a lot of credit. There's no doubt about it. And we're fortunate to have him, you know, and there were some teams that came after him this year and he could have gotten a couple of those jobs and he, he's, he's loyal here to us. And obviously a no brainer to elevate him to associate head coach. And again, just excited about sharing the dugout with him for, uh, for years to come. All right, we got one more question here. We ask this of all of our guests on the Baseball America College podcast. It's a simple question, um, but it, it, it might take a little bit of thought here. So the question is, what is your favorite sandwich? This can be a sandwich you make, a sandwich you get from a restaurant. Just what is your favorite sandwich, Lane Burroughs? Oh, well, listen, listen now. If you know me at all and people who know me well, you can put a steak in front of me or you can put a sandwich. I'm going to eat the sandwich. I, I am a sandwich guy. That's just how I grew up. And, uh, you know, I, I, any club sandwich I'm a big fan of, but this is going to, this is going to sound really elementary and, and really childish. Um, uh, but I'm sorry, my favorite sandwich and I've probably eaten 10,000 of them, uh, is a peanut butter and jelly. I'm sorry. I had to go there. It's, it's very simple. 
very immature. I understand that. But to this day, uh, I will probably eat 10 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches over a course of a week uh, uh, in a normal week for me. So I love the club sandwiches, anything with a ham, turkey and bacon on it. I'm all about and cheese. But uh, if you if you told me I had to choose, I only had one sandwich. I was on an island. 100 percent. Give me some peanut butter, jelly and some bread and I'm good to go. I mean, there's a reason that sandwich has, has lasted as long as it has, right? I mean, <laughs> there's no doubt. And I, I mean, kind of feel, I feel childish even answering that, but I got to, I got to be truthful with you. And there, if my wife or my kids heard me say something else, they would be all over me. So yeah, no doubt it has, it stood the test of time. There's no doubt about it. What is, um, just quickly for our listeners, someone who is, has consumed as many of those sandwiches as you have, you probably have a very specific peanut butter to jelly ratio. Would you mind sharing what, what that ratio is? Absolutely not. I go heavy on the peanut butter and it's always great jelly has to be. I'm not real uh, picky on what kind of peanut butter, either creamy or crunchy too. I don't care. I I love peanut butter and, and uh, I will usually go real heavy in that direction, a little lighter with the jelly. Uh, I even will, you know, put a little honey on the peanut butter every now and then if I'm out of jelly. So uh, (laughs) heavy on the peanut butter, no doubt. Yeah, it's a risky proposition. You put too much jelly or whatever on it. it gets Sometimes it can be a little too sweet, you know, so you That's need to. That's right. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah, we're on the same page there. <laughs> well, that is, uh, like Joe said, classic answer. No need to feel ashamed about that at all. You're not the yeah. first person to say that either. So, <laughs> yeah, well, not, that's the, not the first know. coach. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's the baseball sandwich right i mean like the minor that's leagues right, exactly. subsist on that you know I, I know a lot of college players do as well so we appreciate you taking the time to uh to talk with us here uh get into the bulldogs we're looking forward to seeing what the 2022 brings for the bulldogs I, i'm uh i you mentioned some of the guys that are coming back and i was thinking it through i was like yeah they uh actually do have more back than i might have realized so yeah, just because Bates and Wells are gone doesn't mean the whole team's turning over. So very excited to see what the Bulldogs have for 2022. No doubt. Thank you guys for what you do for our game, and thanks for having me on. I'm here for you anytime. Thank you again to Louisiana Tech coach Lane Burroughs for joining us here on the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, Joe, I, that that team, very impressive start to finish. And, you know, we talking with Lane there – uh, a lot to be excited about just specifically on the field, not, not just about the, the recruiting and, and the way that the stadium has, has energized everything around the program, but um, just in terms of on field to, to hear some of the guys that are coming back, uh, I would anticipate seeing Louisiana Tech uh, be right at the forefront of Conference USA again. You know, right now we, we've had Charlotte kind of pegged as the uh, – is the early favorite in, in that league. Uh, but I, I think that when you, when you look at Louisiana tech, uh, there, there's a lot of reason to think that they can, uh, they can be right there where they were again this year. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, I don't know, you know, we ranked Charlotte in our most recent, uh, the off season edition of the top 25. And, you know, we'll revisit that at some point. And, you know, we may have to discuss about that because one of the other things that's happened with Charlotte is they've had, you know, I, I still think there's a lot of reason for optimism there. Like it's not that we're, we're bailing off of the Charlotte bandwagon here, but they have had a couple of transfers out um, that are, that were key players on the team this past year. So that's something we'll have to take accounting. But I think more importantly is that I think there was an assumption you and I had, I alluded to this earlier, but some of these guys didn't get drafted, but I, there were, there's enough older guys here who have been around for four or five years that, you know, you just kind of assume that at some point it's, Hey, 
We've got our degrees. Uh, we just had this season that's going to be difficult to match. La Tech could be every bit as talented next year and not reach the heights they reached in 2021 because it, it takes more than being good when you're in a league like Conference USA to do something like host a regional, right? So they could be just as good next year, not get back to that same place. So you just kind of figure, I've got my degree. We did what we did in 2021. That was exciting. I was able to open the new stadium. Maybe it's time to move on to whatever's next. I, I assume there was going to be a little bit more of that in this program. And clearly that's not the case. So, you know, while they do lose some key pieces there that you mentioned in the interview, uh, Parker Bates, chief among them, uh, they, they also bring back quite a bit. And this team really was, a, it was a team effort. You know, uh, coaches will, will say that, but I think, in this case, it, it really rings true because this was a team that this wasn't even like South Alabama, where it was like Ethan Wilson is in the center of everything that they're doing offensively to the point where he was getting pitched around a ton, but it basically gave them a guaranteed runner on base every time through the lineup. And La Tech really wasn't that. They didn't have any – Parker Bates was a, a solid prospect, but they didn't really have a guy who scouts are salivating over. This is just a really good team that's built in a complete way. They do They get it done on the mound. Uh, without a ton of like big time stuff. Uh, they've got a lot of players offensively who do a lot of things well, not a lot of guys who really have one or two standout tools, um, but they're going to be a force to be reckoned with again next year. I mean, that's, I think, you know, we're probably penciling CUSA and to have another year where they have, I don't think we'll predict four again, that we'll talk about why that seems unlikely, but you know, with LaTeX doing what they're doing, Charlotte doing what they're doing, and then betting on Southern Miss, like, I think things are trending in a good direction for the league and, and LaTeX bringing back what they do is a huge part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, the, the we've talked about the atmosphere that they created there before. I, I definitely know we talked about that coming out of conference tournaments, how much I liked watching them play Southern Miss, um, you know, in, in the conference USA tournament, those games were electric. And I, I just have to believe that, everything that they were able to build this year that that has to matter for something going forward whether that's belief among the team or buy-in from the community or something you can show recruits like hey look at this video of all of our fans here like look at the, the pictures of of this place being packed like don't you want to be a part of that uh i mean everything that they were it was a, just a, a, a perfect complication uh, of events that, that brought all of that together. They happened to be hosting Conference USA tournament this year. Um, you know, they happened to be able to, to bring in Arkansas and Ole Miss because it was the first year in a new stadium. They also happened to have this incredibly old, incredibly talented team that was ready to take advantage of all of those opportunities. And I mean, I, I, again, I just have to believe that that sets them up in the future to continue taking advantage and, and somehow turn this into a bit of a virtuous cycle. For sure. And, you know, you, you start to think about things like they get to a regional in 2022, big if they have to do it, but if, if they can pull that off, like it really does start to com to compound. It's, you know, the old compounding interest theory where, you know, now you've got kids who, I mean, let's be honest, like, you know, you and I have a, an appreciation for the history and the link here, but if you're a kid who's just starting the recruiting process, well, all you've ever known is Louisiana Tech getting into regionals and challenging for regionals. And you look at the facilities and if you're a kid who's just entering the recruiting process, like that stuff's pretty impressive. And sure, you know, SEC programs come calling, like that's going to be tough, but like 
all of that can really be a game changer for La Tech. There's really nothing holding them back um, from getting a, a level of player that they probably weren't really even getting in the discussion with five years ago, even for as much success as they were starting to have, say, five years ago. You know, he called it the best facility in the conference, and, you know, I think that's, that's, that's right now. I mean, there are some other good ones, you know, Southern Miss, Rice, but I, it's hard to imagine one being better than what La Tech has now, and certainly – their position to, you know, announce themselves as the most consistent team in the, in the conference, or at least in the discussion with what they do next year. And, um, you know, as we, as we start to talk about what's next on a conference level, like that's a huge deal because having teams you can count on that, Hey, you know, no matter what, no matter what attrition they have, no matter what else is kind of going on around the conference, around the region, we know we can bank on this team and that team really being in the discussion to be in the postseason year after year, as opposed to this team made regionals last year. So we kind of know they're on like a cycle. They're going to cycle down next year. Call me in three years and let's talk about what they are. Um, having more teams that are in the former camp, which right now for Conference USA has been Southern Miss and to like some degree FAU. Um, having another team that's in that camp is, is huge. If, if this really wants to be a conference that is a three and four bids, if things go right type of conference, as opposed to two. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we can kind of transition here into some larger conference USA talk. I mean, we talked on the interview about getting four teams in the tournament and what that means. You mentioned FAU and that reminds me that FAU wasn't that far off of the bubble discussion. Um, you know, a couple different games at, either during the season or they play slightly further into the conference tournament and the Owls are right there. And then you're talking about five teams. And, you know, I mean, that maybe it would have been a stretch because, you know, you're asking a lot of, uh, of FAU to, you know, not just be on the bubble, but get in. But, you know, still, the, they weren't too terribly far off. You start looking at the the league overall. I, Old Dominion is probably going to take a step back from last year, but I don't think they have to take a massive step back. You you think about some of the younger players they had come through, like a Carter Trice, um, that are obviously going to be back next year. And you know we talked about La Tech and Southern Miss has some very key pieces to replace, but they've kind of earned the benefit of the doubt. With, in regards to that, we feel good about Charlotte. Always feel pretty good about FAU at a baseline. I mean, there, there's a lot to be said. Um, you know, and I got very excited about UTSA at times last year, and, and, and I think that they're moving in a positive, very positive direction. So, I mean, I, I think the league can be really good again next year. Like you said, I don't know that we'll, in a preseason field of 64, put four Conference USA teams in. Uh, just the the number of times that has happened in the history of the league this century is very minimal. But I mean, I, it wouldn't surprise me to look up and, and there that happened on Selection Monday. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's it is, it is a conference you get the feeling is trending in the right direction, which I think is not something we would have necessarily predicted several years ago. Because even a year ago, I don't think we would yeah. have said that. No, you're right. You're right you know, so much of the conference has been tied up in, well, okay, like, you know, Rice isn't what they used to be. And that was, that used to be the tentpole where it was like, you know, Rice competing on a national level, you know, uh, 
early on in, in the new this iteration of CUSA, it was Rice competing at a potentially national title level. And then you kind of fill around them with a Southern Miss, you know, who was kind of in the next next uh, level. And then, and then from there, it filters down. And when you remove Rice from that conversation, you start to like really question, okay, what is the high end here? And then furthermore, you know, when you've got less teams, you can really bank on being in the postseason. Now it becomes tough because in a league that big, you are going to play teams that just aren't very good. And that was, again, in the case in 2021, you know, one thing that I've been fascinated by is that everything really, and this is not to take anything away from the four teams because it, it's, it needs to be said, the four teams that got into regionals, like they all soared into regionals. There were no close shaves there those four teams were closer, you know, all closer to hosting than they were to being on the bubble. So, you know, they were sailing in. It's part of the reason why FAU almost kind of snuck in there. But I think it should be said that the events of 2021 just went exactly to script for CUSA to pull off what they did, where you had four teams that were all really ready to compete for regionals. You had you know, a team like LaTeX jump out early and grab some wins um, that would help buoy the rest of the conference because their their RPI bleeds into the teams they play RPI. And so beating Ole Miss and Arkansas, that's important. You know, Charlotte, you know, had like ECU on the schedule. That was important, you know. So there were other wins in there. But so they had those four teams. And then you really had a pretty defined, with, with the exception of a couple teams, most notably FAU, UTSA you really had a pretty clearly defined upper class and lower class in this conference. So it wasn't just that those four teams were good. It's that they really weren't for the most part getting picked off by teams at the bottom half of the conference. And so they were all really kind of able to run up the score record wise in conference play. And so I think that was important too. So you, you might look at it and say, well, what is, what does this conference need to do to continue this momentum? And one of the things is, okay, getting LaTeX to be a year after year regional contender in the same way that Southern Miss is right now. I think that's valid. I think that is a thing. I think the next thing most people might say is, well, we need some of these teams kind of at the bottom to be a little more competitive to where you don't have as many, you know, uh, RPI anchors in the conference. And I'm not sure that's right because that, yes, that is true. You'd have fewer RPI anchors, but what you'd also have is teams getting pulled down to the middle a little bit. And if, there were a couple of these teams, you know, some of these RPIs in the, in the conference weren't so good that they could have afforded two more series losses, for example. So I do think it, it's easy to say, well, at the bottom of the conference gets a little bit better. And there are pieces of evidence that some of those teams are getting better. Then that would be better for the conference and getting more teams in. And I'm just not sure it's that simple, frankly. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point. Um, the RPI situation in 21 was obviously so different from what we're used to that I don't want to draw massive conclusions from this. Like La Tech and USM played 11 times. Three of those were in the tournament, but they played 11 times. <laughs> That's not happening again. So, you know, I mean, they might not even play four times next year, right? So, Weird things happen to help them draft off of each other in terms of RPI, to use one of Joe's favorite terms. Um, but that also potentially mitigated some of the, the bottom run teams. Whereas if 
you know, you have USM and La Tech instead of playing 11 times, only playing three or four times, then, you know, you need the help from somewhere else to, to goose your RPI. And, you know, yes, some of that has to come from what you do in the non-conference. Um, and Louisiana Tech did a great job of that. And Southern Miss did a pretty good job of that. But like, look at Charlotte, and they didn't do such a good job of that. So, you know, you, you would, it, in a more normal year, you know, Charlotte maybe would have really benefited from RPI help coming not in the form of playing eight games against ODU, but playing three games against ODU and then some other teams on their schedule within the conference being a little bit better. So, you know, I, I think it would help some, it would help hurt some. Ultimately, I, for me, taking the next step for the league is to find a, a, a team that is capable of winning a Super Regional. And, and not just capable or going to a Super Regional, getting to Omaha, whatever. Like, they need to find their ECU, to me. Uh, like, that that should be what they're looking for next. And that doesn't mean that there can only be one of them or that it has to consistently be the same team. But if they can have that kind of team every year, I think that would go a long way to, to really helping establish uh, what, what the high end of the conference could be. I think it's a good point. Um, you know, it's, I mean, that was kind of one of the, like, if we're going to call a spade a spade here, like that was one of the disappointments of the season that was, is that, you know, conferences, they had two teams that were one seeds with old dominion being a traveling one at South Carolina and neither of them end up winning that regional when statistics show, and we, and we don't have a lot of, we haven't had a lot of traveling ones lately. So that, that data is outdated and, you know, hard to read anyway, but Hard to get I mean, even on. so, it wasn't South Carolina that won the regional. Correct, yes. Um, so but the, the data shows that one seeds overwhelmingly win their regionals. And so they had two cracks at it and didn't get either. And so that's disappointing. Um, and I'm not sure who the betting favorite would be, frankly. I mean, because you bring up a good point. That's kind of the next step for this conference. And I'm not – I mean, Southern Miss is like the default because, like, they, you just know they're getting there. They've been to Omaha before. All of that is getting further and further in the rearview mirror um, in 2009. So, They've done it. So it's like, okay, proof of concept is there. They have a lot going for them. There's a lot of um, history there, but you know, I'm not so sure that the betting favorite wouldn't be La Tech. You you could also make an argument for Charlotte based on a lot of things that don't necessarily have anything to do with um, recent play or um, facilities, anything like that, just based on access to talent and the ability of that coaching staff to kind of get things turned over quickly. And so it's, a, it's an interesting debate that I don't know has a clear answer in terms of who the favorite would be. Yeah. And, and I don't think it has to be a one team situation. Um, you know, I, you think about the Missouri Valley operating at its peak, it had both DBU and Missouri state capable of doing it. And Missouri state was in this like every other year cycle for a little bit uh, that that was nice. Uh, and, you know, in, in other years, DBU kind of carried the flag. It doesn't have to be one, it can be multiple, but to me having a team that is consistently thought of that way, a team that not, we're not just ranking the Conference USA favorite 
21, 24, whatever. Like I've done that to Southern Miss a lot over the last five, six years. Uh, but a, a team that you look at and you're like, yeah, whoever the favorite in this league is right now, like they're, they're somewhere in a hosting position coming into the year. That's the expectation. Um, to, to me, that that's where, that's where growth it comes from in the conference. And if that comes at, you know, with other, with a middle Tennessee state rising up, a UAB rising up and, and improving themselves, or if that just comes from, you know, LaTeX or Southern Miss or Charlotte and ODU or whoever running away from the field. Uh, like, I, I think either one is fine. I don't know that there has to, that there's a, a, a certain path to that. You know, you look at the American and basically everyone has risen up and ECU rose a little further, but everyone rose up. And, and you know, at times it's been ECU, but at times it's been Houston. And it, sometime in the future, it might be Wichita again, or UCF, or USF, uh, or Tulane. You know, I, to me, that that's the next step for the conference. Pound for pound, you know, that's an important distinction. An important distinction to make because CUSA is a big conference um, in terms of number of teams, in terms of how spread out they are. Although it could be worse uh, because UTEP does not play baseball, so you know the, the El Paso trips are not not in the mix here. Although for you know. A team like Old Dominion, the trip to UTSA is probably not much, although you can, it's a little bit shorter, um, but still that's not the easiest trip to make in terms of distance. So there is that. Um, but I say pound for pound because just the, the size of the conference and not all are going to be of equal equal size here. Um, is there a conference that stands out to you as, as being in a better position, but to kind of be the, because I think there's a few candidates here and, you know, again, getting four teams in isn't realistic for some conferences that are smaller, but in terms of just like the high end being what you want it to be, like, I'm not, I would not have picked CUSA to be in the best position for this a year ago, but now I probably would based on the results they have. But I, I'm curious who you else think is in kind of that discussion. I have a a couple of thoughts, but um, I think it's a very real debate to have. So you're talking about a conference outside the major yeah, not the not the American. Yeah. Right. Which which for baseball purposes will define as the power five plus the American plus the Big West, because I don't feel like discussing the Big West again. Yeah. Right. Um, so those seven conferences out, like who is positioned to kind of join that club or 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 just at least do what what Conference USA has done here and really elevate in some way. That, that's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a pretty vague. D- d- discussion like in terms big definition but i think we, i think we know what we mean i think we'll yeah, know so, when we say it i mean like for a long time and we've probably had this discussion on the podcast um i have in some ways been waiting for the sunbelt to do what conference usa just did the fact that they haven't done it yet is stunning and also probably revealing um you know i, I just don't know that they're anywhere close to, to being ready to do it. Uh, so my eye then goes out West to the West coast conference, which for them, four teams is probably too many to expect. There are 10 teams in that league versus 12 in conference USA. And they just, they have no history of, of doing that kind of thing. But if they got three teams in, I think that would be kind of similar. And, you know, you saw Gonzaga push into a position where they were being considered to host and Gonzaga at their high end pretty consistently has that ability. Uh, if they hit on a year, 
where they, they get the RPI help that they got this year by you know going out and, and beating TCU on the road a couple times, you know, doing stuff like that that you know they they can be in that position. Uh, you know, we've seen Pepperdine have impressive seasons recently. We know what they're capable of. We know what San Diego is capable of, although obviously now under new leadership. Um, you know, constantly you look up in in the West Coast Conference and you see premium prospects all over the place, not just at the places you would expect, but, oh, San Francisco has an arm that's like up to 95 and, oh, so does Loyola Marymount. And, you know, there, there are a couple hitters th- scattered throughout the league. Like, oh, of course, all of that. Yeah. And, you know, BYU has been impressive lately. So I, I just feel like the WCC is kind of ready for something like that to happen. They're just looking for someone to take the lead, whether that's a Pepperdine or Gonzaga, BYU, whoever it is, they, they need someone to, to kind of take maybe the first step for them. Yeah. I'm not saying that this would be correct to say, but you know how West coast coaches and, and keen observers of the West coast will, will vouch for the West coast by saying it's such an insular, such an insular region in terms of scheduling, in terms of the players and the recruiting that, you know, in the big West ends up being, hurt it always ends up being or the pac 10 doesn't get as or pac 10 wow pac 12 doesn't end up getting the respect it it deserves like i feel like maybe some of that energy and again i'm not saying i'd advocate for this but some of that energy probably needs to be put towards advocating for the wcc because i'm with you like the players are good out here like i've done the wcc preview the last couple of years and like i end up by the time i'm done talking myself into like six teams every year and having a lot of trouble ranking them in the pecking order because of that and it just, you know, it, 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 and every year we look up and there's like multiple teams kind of in the mix. Last year wasn't a great example because Gonzaga and San Diego were so clearly the two best teams, but, you know, and yet it just doesn't pop, you know, it doesn't pop like one or two. I'm not sure why, but like, so some of that energy that people say, oh, the big West gets short shrift, like maybe, maybe some of that energy should be spent on advocating for the WCC. Cause I, I'm with you there on, on that one, but. Um, I mean, one of the other avatars here for this type of conference, I think, is, is the Missouri Valley. They're in a different place than Conference USA is in that they have a very clear team that's like, okay, this is the team that we're waiting to do this, and that's Dallas Baptist. They've been to a Super Regional twice now. Uh, they won a game in a Super Regional this last time, which is one step closer than they've been before. They're in regionals every year. You know, they, they have the most talent in the conference every year. And so they're set up different than CUSA where they're not going to probably get as many cracks at it. I think they, so two things are are also true here that feel like they might kind of counteract each other, but I I think I can thread this needle here where at one time I'm pretty optimistic about the direction of a lot of this conference. When you look at Indiana state has now pretty, pretty much established itself as a a consistent team that's, that's going to finish top half in the conference. And by finishing top half in the conference, you're going to at least be in striking distance of the postseason. You know, SIU just had its best season in like 40 years and they won 40 games. Um, I like generally the trajectory of Illinois state. They got snake bitten a little bit this last year, Missouri state has shown high end ability in the past. We talked about that. Um, So there's a lot to like in that conference. I like the overall trajectory of it. I just don't know that I'm super confident in anyone else other than DBU from that conference, barring like weird things happen in the postseason, right? You know, a host gets a, a host goes 0 and 2, and suddenly the, the regional is wide open. Like that can happen to anybody. But in terms of a team that actually 
establishes itself as a Omaha quality team or a super regional quality team. I'm not really sure where I would go there. The safe bet is probably Indiana state just given the consistency, but um, there's just not an obvious second team here that I really feel convicted is that type of team. And so, you know, you could argue the Valley is in a better place than many of these conferences, maybe even conference USA, because I think Dallas Baptist's floor is on par with the floor of whatever team you want to pick out of conference USA in terms of what they can accomplish, but they've gotten a lot closer as of late than just about any team in conference USA. And so therefore you could make that argument that they're ahead, but teams two through five in conference USA are, I think in better shape than team number two in the Missouri Valley in that regard. Yeah. The Valley uh, obviously has a size problem, but I mean, you look at where some of those, the, the trajectory of some of those programs, like, like you mentioned, it's uh, it's impressive. I, I think that, you know, they've also been very adept at um, scheduling and, and finding ways to schedule well and aggressively that have really helped the, the whole of the conference. They are consistently, uh, you know, one of the, the higher rated RPI conferences. They're always in the top 10. Uh, they're always, they're always in the mix and, and having that kind of thing means that at any time you're, like one team having a surprise season away from a breakout, like three, four bid season. And uh, that, I mean, that, that's a good spot to be in if, if you're trying to, to, to become a, a conference that is more, you know, reliably in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the more in the major conference range, or at least in the high mid-major range. And, Again, I would say, like we talked about with Conference USA, with the MVC, the, the thing here is finding someone to push through to Super Regionals more consistently. Missouri State has done it recently. DBU has done it um, as well, obviously, just this year. But but ha- having it happen on a more annual basis is uh, is feels like the next progression for the league. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, you know, there are a couple of other conferences that I think are interesting just for reasons that, you know, we can either dismiss them or, or, or bring them into this umbrella. Like the Mountain West is fascinating. It's a smaller league also, uh, just seven teams. The trouble there is, you know, they've got a team with a national title in Fresno State, obviously has things going for it, not just history. San Diego State is annually in the mix, but They've been to a lot of regionals, haven't done a lot of winning in those regionals. Rarely are they an at-large team. They're typically getting the auto bid. I think you and I are big believers in TJ Bruce and Nebraska, uh, Nebraska, Nevada. They did it this past year, but are they going to have that consistency? So there are those questions in the Mountain West. Um, I also think last year was kind of uh, an anomaly in terms of, I mean, truly they had three teams that if you squinted hard enough, you could have thought of them as at-large teams of things that, had broken right and if they'd have won a few more games. But I think that that one's tough, I think, because they're, who do you really banking on there in that conference? The A-Sun was one that a couple of years ago, I kind of thought could have gone, and some things have gone their way. Like Liberty has established itself as the well, type of team. talk about how like we had, the A-Sun is now bloated and like, I have no idea what you, who is even in the A-Sun anymore. Oh, like, that's, what, yeah. what does adding EKU and Central Arkansas mean for baseball? I have no idea. 
Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, goodness. Like those are, yeah, I, I do both the ASUN and the WAC and the Southland for that matter previews every year. And I'm going to have to like really do some digging next year to make sure I have the right teams in those conferences. Cause my goodness, those three leagues are the OVC too. Um, those leagues are really going through some, some changing. I mean, that's probably a topic for a future podcast, honestly, like, although it'd be funny, like literally the, the entire podcast is us just reading off the membership of every league in the country. But, but just talking about the bottom up, realignment here you know um that we've seen in, in kind of what the end game is here because the end game is not baseball obviously but i do think the end game is instructive of what these leagues want to be and that can affect baseball sometimes but you know the ace suns and you're right i mean it's it's gotten i mean in theory and, you're looking at stetson which mm-hmm. made it to a super yep. in 2019 and has a lot of reasons why you would think that the program is in solid ground gulf coast which is pretty solid uh liberty which you know, we, we've seen the direction that, that they're moving. Like these are good building blocks. Kennesaw, also a super regional team uh, within the last decade. Like there's a lot to like there, but there's also a pretty significant bottom end of, of the league, which is probably going to prevent, uh, you know, unless EKU and Central Arkansas and whoever else is in the A-Sun now um, are going to, you know, really come in and, and go in fighting. Like, just feels like that's a league that is too bloated for its own good. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit, and this is funny because this conference is also wrapped up in another round of realignment, but it reminds me a little bit of the Southland like six or seven years ago when Sam Houston was really starting to cook and Southeastern was really starting to cook. And then you felt like you could bank on, well, McNeese has a lot of, a lot of raw materials for a good program there. And Northwestern state historically is a winning program. Um, And so you kind of thought, well, you know, like there's enough there that maybe, you know, scheduling is always advantageous in the Southland because you're playing the SEC and playing the big 12. Like maybe that's a conference that becomes like a solid two bid league. And like, maybe there's some growth there. And then they, they went through the round of realignment where I don't mean to be disrespectful to the programs they brought in, but they brought in a lot of teams that were a lot of programs that were elevated up from lower levels and it, it became a 13 team league and it just became untenable. And it, I think that's, there are a number of reasons why the Southland didn't continue to be a consistent two-bid league. But one of them was that the league got so bloated that the scheduling just got wonky. So you were playing wildly uneven schedules. And also it was entirely possible you were going to play series against five or six teams that had RPIs of 200 or worse. And that's just always going to make it hard. And, and I think the A-Sun is kind of in the exact same position, even though you you list off those teams and they've got a team in Liberty who I think, you know, They've got, I think sometimes we underrate how much they have going for them when you talk about the facilities and the, the momentum they have in that in that program. So um, I think the A-Sun is kind of in a, in a similar spot to where the Southland was not that long ago. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting to, one to watch. I feel like that's a little bit of your hipster pick. Um, like if, if it comes together, it could happen. And I don't know what Liberty's long-term position is in anything there, that's a, program that very clearly is chasing FBS football success. And so that would eventually probably mean want trying to join a conference or whatever. I don't know the overall direction of that athletic department is, uh, it's kind of tricky to figure out right now, but on a baseball field, they play really well, obviously. And Scott Jackson just got a contract extension there. They're, they're doing a lot of good things. And uh, if, if Stetson is able to find, high-end consistency 
I mean, just those two programs alone are, are enough to really push a league forward, I feel like. All right, so that's going to do it for us today. Uh, close that out with theoretical realignment. Joe, I, I think we actually may need to go into realignment. There was a time last year, I think I can say this now, we're, we're probably never actually running the, the thing in, in its original construction, but there's a new opening for it. When, when, when scheduling last year was looking very confusing and there was a lot of talk about like regional only or regional centric scheduling, we, we, we undertook the idea of like dividing the country up uh, in, in baseball leagues by region as like, oh, what if, what if just for this year, we like everything had to be regionalized? Like, how would you split the country up? Like, instead of having a league, the American that includes East Carolina and Wichita State, like, let's make it so that these teams don't have to get on airplanes very often. Well, that things got, things got messy. That, that never ran. Like, I, Joe did his part of it. I didn't really get my part of it done anyway. That's not happening, but Joe, now I feel like with the realignment talk that's happening coming out of you know the SEC making their move for uh, Oklahoma and Texas, and now the alliance that's getting talked about at football levels between the ACC and the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and at some sort of like high-end discussion level at least, I, I think there's a room for us to just instead of truly trying to regionalize baseball conferences, just trying to optimize baseball conferences. So maybe we'll get into that at some point uh, later this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a worthwhile topic. I mean, if nothing else, just to kind of give people a, an indication of like where things actually stand and, and where conference realignment has hurt baseball and where conference realignment has helped baseball, because for the most part, the results from a baseball standpoint are accidental and incidental, you know? conference realignment is not really happening for baseball reasons and any positive reactions of that have just kind of been happy accidents really. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that, that there is an opportunity to kind of present that because I, it's, it, it goes way beyond just Texas and Oklahoma in terms of the way the sands are shifting right now. Yeah. And like we mentioned with the, the ASUN, there's, there's a lot happening at the lower levels too. Like this is not just a high level power five realignment. There, there's a lot happening. There's a lot that's going to continue to happen, so we'll uh, maybe we'll dive into that at some point here uh, in the off season. Uh, what I can tell you, we're going to do this off season is keep doing this podcast once a week, and we're going to keep bringing guests on, like Lane Burrows. Uh, like last week, we had Cal State Fullerton coach, new Cal State Fullerton coach Jason Dietrich, uh, join us, and, and so we'll continue talking to people from around the college baseball world throughout uh, the off season. So make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And there's plenty of content over at baseballamerica.com. And pretty soon, I think next week even, uh, we're, we're going to be starting with uh, some summer college uh, content in, in the form of prospect lists. I, we, we've had summer college content before. I, I, I should say we're going to start recapping the top prospects from leagues uh, around the country. So look for that. I, again, I believe that's starting next week over at baseballamerica.com. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Rapsodo for presenting this and every episode of the Baseball America College podcast. 
And thank you to Lane Burroughs for joining us today. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at hero.co.